Three of the most important words in our entire Bibles are these three. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now the lineup that you see here this morning is a very important sequence. For all of these experiences that are at the very heart of what it means to be saved are interconnected. They are interlinked. Justification leads to sanctification, and sanctification leads to glorification. They cannot be separated in the life of a true Christian. Now, one way of understanding them is to view our salvation in terms of its time, past, present, and future. So, uh, justification, which means we have been saved from the penalty of sin, that is in our past as a believer. But in the present is sanctification. We are being saved from the power of sin. And one day in the future, we will experience glorification, which means we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Yes. Do you know an even better way of looking at this is to see it as initial, progressive, and final salvation. So that justification is initial salvation. We are saved from all the penalty that our sin would have brought. Sanctification is what we call progressive salvation. It is that experience now in this life of being saved and more and more delivered from the power of sin. This is that area of the Christian life where we experience transformation and renewal. And then glorification we can call final salvation where we will be perfected in glory in the presence of our Lord. Do you remember these questions from last Sunday? Why will you wake up a Christian tomorrow morning? And can you know for sure that you will be a Christian ten years from now? You may say, I'm a Christian today, but can I know for sure that I will be a Christian ten years from now? Are there clear answers to these questions? And the answer that the Bible gives us is absolutely yes. You see, God causes all justified believers to persevere in sanctification. And then at the end of that time, to be glorified in heaven. Now this morning, we are continuing our message on the perseverance of the saints. We are coming back this morning to John 17, where Jesus is praying, and we are in that wonderful section of his prayer where he is praying that God would persevere us in the faith. Remember, one of the greatest definitions of the perseverance of the saints that I've ever come across is by Bible teacher Wayne Grudem. Look at what he says. The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives 
and that only those who persevere until the end have truly been born again. Now, do you see that central line in this definition? Perseverance is God's power that causes all true believers to persevere to the end in their Christian life. You know what that is? That's the process of sanctification. You see, all true Christians will grow in sanctification. And if we ask, how do we know that? Well, it is exactly what Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. Open your Bibles and turn there with me again this morning. And let me read for you Jesus' words in John 17 and verse 17. Now remember that Jesus makes two critical points that are the keys to our perseverance. Here they are. We saw last week the Father keeps believers loyal to His Son. Now today we see the Father sanctifies believers for His service. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth, says Jesus. Your word is truth. Bow with me for just a moment, would you? Lord Jesus Christ, once again we are coming into the Holy of Holies. We are on holy ground this morning as the Son... Praise to the Father about His dear disciples. And He prays that the Father would keep them by sanctifying them in the truth. Lord, every child of God who is thankful for their salvation knows that this very prayer is being worked out in their lives. How grateful we are. How thankful today. Teach us now what it means. That we may have hearts to love, minds to apprehend, and wills to obey. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I want you to notice, as we open up this section of Jesus' prayer, how much the petition in verse 17 Sounds like the one in verse 11. Go back to verse 11 and notice Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Now in verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Now when you put those two petitions together, other than the address, Holy Father, it sounds like the two are intimately tied together. Do you know there's an ellipsis in verse 17? An ellipsis is when words are understood so easily that they are left out. And that's what we have here. There is an ellipsis. It is clear that Jesus is still addressing the Holy Father. But as he comes to the second petition, because he's already addressed him, he does not need to add that phrase, Holy Father, again. I could illustrate it this way. 
If I were to say to my wife, Ellen, please help me to wash the dishes, please bring a towel, I leave Ellen out of the second petition because it is understood that I am addressing her in both petitions. Uh, By the way, she is in total shock today because she knows that rarely happens. She's always asking me to help with the dishes. But please, that is beside the point this morning, all right? That's what we have here. Jesus is still addressing our Holy Father. Now, the reason we know that is because the verb sanctify comes from the noun holy. It is simply two forms of the very same word. In fact, there are four Bible words that come from the word holy. Holy is used 900 times in the Bible, and these other words, saint, sanctify, sanctification, and holiness, all come from the same word. Now what this tells us then as we come to this petition is what sanctification is. The word holy means to be set apart for special use. Uh, It was a word that was used in the Old Testament of animal sacrifices that were dedicated and consecrated for God's use. So to be sanctified means... To belong to God in such a way that He sets us apart from the world's sin, values, and goals. And then there is a positive side to it. It is a divine process whereby God takes the believer and sets that believer apart to share His holiness in daily life. Now let's make some things very clear about it. It is something that only God can do because He alone is the Holy Father. Second thing we learn, it's a lifelong process that will never be complete until we are free from sin in heaven. So every Christian is always in the process of being sanctified. I love what John Wesley said. He said, everyone, though born of God in an instant, yet undoubtedly grows by slow degrees. That's you and me. And then finally we learn it is a certain process because Jesus said this is how God keeps every believer loyal to His Son. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which you have given to me. And now, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so how can we know that we will persevere in being loyal to the Son? It is because the Father is sanctifying us for His service. The great Christian reformer Martin Luther said many, many wonderful things. One of the greatest and most important and insightful is this wonderful statement. Look at what Luther said. There is no justification without sanctification. 
No forgiveness without renewal of life. No real faith from which the fruits of new obedience do not grow. Isn't that thrilling this morning? Isn't that encouraging? This is the work that God is doing in every Christian. And this work is God's guarantee that every Christian will remain loyal to His Son to the end. And then even when we sin as a Christian, when we fail as we many times do, this work will not stop, but God will continue to renew it day by day until we meet our Savior. What a wonderful truth is found for our comfort and encouragement. Now in this portion of Jesus' prayer, what we discover is that Jesus answers three questions about sanctification. Did you know that all of the kernel of the truth of the Christian faith is found in the teachings of Jesus. But then that kernel grows into a wonderful plant as we come to the letters of the apostles. So that what is in seed form in the teaching of Christ comes to its full flower as the apostles expand upon what he taught. And right here in three verses are the core issues in sanctification. What a wonderful thing that Jesus can pray and yet at the same time teach us this great truth. Let's move with him as he answers three very important questions. Number one, how? How are we sanctified? And Jesus says, it is by the truth of God's Word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Have you ever wondered why is truth the means of our sanctification? The answer is found in verse 15. Look up at verse 15. And Jesus also prayed, keep them from the evil one. So sanctification is a means of keeping us from the evil one, Satan. What did Jesus have to say about Satan? Well, turn back to John 8. And I want you to notice the second half of verse 44, the Gospel of John explains itself. Look at verse 44 and notice what Jesus said about the evil one, the devil. Speaking to non-believers, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now notice this. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Now that's the one that Jesus prayed we would be kept from. Notice what counters that. Look back at verse 31 and 32 of of John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed. This is a different audience now. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now let's put this together this morning. We are sanctified by the truth because it is the truth that sets us free from the lies of Satan. When Jesus was on earth with the eleven, Judas is now gone. He said to them, I am the truth. And so he protected the disciples by guiding them, by warning them, by teaching them. Now he's getting ready to leave. The one who is the truth was leaving them. Where would that truth then be found after he left? Notice his answer here in John 17, 17. Your word is truth. That's where it's now found. By the way, let me drop in a little thought here. Did you notice Jesus did not say here, your word is the truth? Whenever in a construction like this, the article is absent, as it is here, your word is truth, simple, straightforward, it is truth, the absence of the article is stressing quality. What Jesus is saying is the Bible is holy truth. There is no falsehood in it. There is no error in it. There is no deceit in this book. Psalm 91.7 says about it, The law of the Lord is perfect. It is perfect. As the president of my seminary could say as he was addressing us many years later, Brothers, you can trust this book. And because we can trust it, what Jesus is saying is, it is the chief means of our sanctification. Now, I want to show you something for a moment that I think is very, very fascinating. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you do that, I want to bring this graphic up on the screen for our instruction this morning. 2 Timothy 3, and notice with me, verses 16 and 17, this is the flower developing out of the seed that Jesus taught. Look at it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you notice here what the Bible does for us? It gives us doctrine, what we need to believe. Is there an error in our thinking about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? About the means of salvation? The Bible gives us all the teaching we need in those areas. The Bible is for reproof. Is there an error in our lives the way that we are living? Is there something wrong that is outside of the perfect will of God as it has been revealed? The Bible gives us reproof. And then it not only does that, notice it gives us correction so that it not only shows us what is wrong in our life, but it shows us the right thing that corrects the wrong. This very past week, I came across some verses I hadn't seen in a while. And they made me aware that something was wrong. But they also told me how to get right. And I experienced reproof and correction in the very same verses. And then notice the Bible gives us instruction in righteousness That is, it shows us how we can learn to obey God. No wonder Jesus said, sanctification comes in the truth, your word is truth, and then you'll notice the result of all of this is that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you know the word equipped there in in this verse in 2 Timothy 3, 17? means to be restored to wholeness. It was used of a doctor setting a broken bone. It was used of fishermen who had nets that were torn and they mended their nets. To be equipped means to be restored to wholeness. Now, did you know whole and holy are from the same root? The word whole means to be complete or entire, so that what the Bible is telling us is the Bible is God's way to make us whole or holy so that we can be like Him. By the way, did you notice something very significant in verse 17? Jesus said, Sanctify them, In the truth. Notice he did not say, sanctify them by knowing the truth. He said, sanctify them in the truth. And so it is not enough for us just to have heads filled with knowledge. But that knowledge must come down into our hearts where the transformation takes place and a holy life begins to emerge. 
We used to tease one another in seminary. We would say to one another, you're going to go out of here and be a pastor as unsanctified as you are? And we would tease one another. But that teasing had a very real and critical element to it. It was not enough to be in seminary where we were learning truth often that we were not living out. But we had to recognize that the reason God gave that truth and that education was that we might live in the truth. So how does this happen? It happens by the truth of God's Word. Notice secondly, Jesus answers a second question, for what? For what are we sanctified, and it is for ministry to this world? Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Did you notice that Jesus was very careful to uh, avoid two common errors? Look back at verse 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. You know what that's saying? Jesus does not want us to be isolated in a little Christian bubble. That's what that's saying. Then look at the opposite error in verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus does not want us compromising with the world. Do you know this is two errors that Christians often make? Many Christians isolate themselves from the world so that they will be safe and not bothered. Jesus says, that's not why I'm sanctifying you. And then other Christians... They compromise with the world so that they can be accepted and go along. And Jesus says, that's not why I'm sanctifying you as well. You see, Jesus says that here's the reason we are sanctified. It's because as the Father sent Jesus into the world on a mission, and now He's gone back to the Father, we now are sent by the Father on the same mission to reach that world. That's the purpose of being sanctified. When I was in college and seminary, I worked my way through both college and seminary with many, many different jobs. And I have to say that I am tremendously grateful for every job that I had because there were things that I could not learn in a classroom that I learned out in the workaday world. Here are some of the things that I learned. At a piston ring factory... There was pornography everywhere. And I learned in that piston ring factory I needed to be a pure witness. At a Union 76 gas station in downtown Chicago, money was the owner's god. He sat on a little gold mine on the corner of Chicago and Clark Street, and money was his god. And I learned I needed to be a godly witness. 
in an insurance office in downtown Dallas. There were two women who were so bitter at one another, they refused to speak. And one of them was a Christian who went to the great First Baptist Church in Dallas. And as I watched those two bitter women, I realized I need to be a meek and humble witness. At a Zephyr gas station in 1978, I had a co-worker who asked me to lie on his behalf. And I learned I needed to be an honest witness. And then at the Hockaday School for Girls, as I was a chauffeur for teenage girls, man, did I learn a lot. <laughs> All these rich kids, on the weekends I would eat with them, and I would eat like a king. They all were secular to the core. And I learned I needed to have a gospel witness. Do you know, in all those jobs, I realized the pastor would never get near many of those people. I rubbed shoulders with them every single week. And on those jobs, I learned why God had saved us. It is so He can send us. The world is so needy. And the Father says, I sanctify you, that I may send you to that needy world. After I graduated from seminary, Chuck Swindoll became the president of our seminary. He wrote a book entitled, Rise and Shine. Listen to what he said. Ministry is a character profession. To put it bluntly, you can sleep around and still be a good brain surgeon. You can cheat on your mate and have little trouble continuing to practice law. Apparently, it is no problem to stay in politics and plagiarize. You can be a successful salesperson and cheat on your income tax. But you cannot do those things as a Christian or as a minister and continue enjoying the Lord's blessing. You must do right in order to have true integrity. If you can't come to terms with evil or break habits that continue to bring reproach to the name of Christ, please do the Lord and us in ministry a favor and resign. Strong words. Strong words. But absolutely true. Many years ago, a young pastor who was known as the saintly Robert Murray McShane, who died at 29, was giving advice to a young man going into the ministry. And here's what the saintly McShane, whose diaries are still read today, said. In great measure... According to the purity and perfection of the instrument will be the success. 
It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Let those words ring in our hearts today. It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister or a holy Christian is an awful weapon in the hand of God. That's why we are sanctified. Look at the final question. Finally, why can we be sanctified? Because of Jesus' work through the cross. Look at verse 19. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the reason why we can be sanctified. Jesus is talking here about His coming death. Because He would die, He purchased our forgiveness. Because He rose again, He purchased a, a new life for us. Because He sent the Holy Spirit, He accomplished the application of salvation to our lives. True sanctification is impossible apart from the atoning work of Christ on the cross, because it is only after our sins are forgiven that we can begin to lead a holy life. But brothers and sisters, I want us to understand there is more here in this verse. Not only is Jesus saying His atoning work sanctifies us, but His example is the greatest motivation there is in living a holy life. For their sakes, He says, I cross-consecrate myself to the work on the cross, the resurrection, and all that will come, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Let me ask you, what Christian can truly see Jesus? hanging on the cross, dying for them, and not truly love Him more and more. One of the practices here at Bethel that was established, I believe, by Pastor Donaldson was every Communion Sunday the pastors come they lower themselves in the sight of the congregation here at the steps. And we thank God for His shed blood and His broken body. Do you realize the impact that has on me? It moves my heart deeply. Come with me and lower yourself into the dust where people walk with the bottoms of their shoes and thank the Lord for His grace and mercy that has saved you and given you the privilege of knowing Him and pastoring a group of people 
and walk away from that experience as we remember Him and try to stay the same. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. One of the men who in American history saw this the greatest was David Brainerd. David Brainerd was one of the greatest missionaries to the American Indians that ever lived. He died before he was 30 years of age of tuberculosis. He was so driven to reach the American Indian, and this is a sketch of his ministry, that he would ride on his horse coughing up blood from tuberculosis to preach the gospel to those he loved. And in his diary, which is an inspiration to many today, he said this, I never got away from Jesus and Him crucified. When my people were gripped by this great evangelical doctrine of Christ and Him crucified, I had no need to give them instructions about morality. I found that one followed as the sure and inevitable fruit of the other. Look at this handsome man here this morning who gave his life to reach the American Indian. In another place in his journal, he said this, I find my Indians begin to put on the garments of holiness and their common life begins to be sanctified even in small matters when they are possessed by the doctrine of Christ and Him crucified. And look at the comments of Michael Green, who taught at Dallas Seminary when I was there. What Brainerd was saying was this, when a Christian realizes who Christ is and what He has done for us so graciously, it tends to have a dramatic effect on this life. Not only in salvation, but in holiness. Brothers and sisters, That's how we are sanctified. <coughs> Let's bow our hearts together. As we are waiting before the Lord, where are you at in your relationship with Christ? Do you know Him? Have you been justified? Today He offers freely to cleanse you, to remove the penalty of sin, to give you a perfect and spotless standing with God. And then He offers to conform you to the image of Himself. 
to take His precious Word, which is truth, and slowly but surely, gradually, day after day, make you a holy man, a holy woman. Someday when He comes or when you pass, He will take you to glory, where every vestige of sin will be removed, and you will be free at last. Oh, today, while His Spirit takes His Word and speaks to your heart, would you come to Him? And whatever area needs to be set right, let His Word act like the mirror that it is. Show you all that you need. And then by the power of the Spirit, more and more set you free. Lord God, today, hear our prayers. Draw our hearts after you. For Jesus' wonderful sake, we pray. Amen.